0: in the first five years built our business on the back of Google, which has the advantage of being really efficient, but when you're just reacting to customers finding you, you're not really choosing your target market as much.
1: Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Founders Journey series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. I'm joined by my guest, Josh. And this is part two of our discussion. Josh Miller, who's based in LA, uh, co-founder and CEO of Criteria Corp. Definitely go back and listen to part one, where we understood a bit more about their people analytics software. But Josh, I want to hear a bit more of... Your journey your story like how did you get to where you are today and you shared a little bit because you had one company sold it and then the idea came but let's let's continue that journey how did you actually build criteria Corp and, and to have it where it is today 15, almost 14 15 years later
0: yeah uh, thanks thanks for having me again now um, you know the, the the story of how we got started um, I, I mentioned in, in the last uh, episode was uh, an experience, a negative experience being involved on the hiring side, um, you know, as an employer. And, uh, but we, we got started, you know, honestly, uh, started launching the product in 2007. And that was, uh, if you're selling hiring software, that turned out to be a uniquely terrible (laughs) timing in a lot of respects, because within about six months of, of, you know, launching the product into the world, uh, the financial crisis of 2008 hit. And uh, so it was effectively kind of a hiring freeze across the US, so it was a pretty tough time to be- uh,
1: How did you feel at that moment, you're like, great, I built a product, this is gonna be fantastic. And suddenly everyone's like, no, we don't wanna hire anybody right now. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because I think at that point we were still, in a sense, it was fortunate that we were so small and had so little, so we didn't have any revenue to lose. <laughs> you know? And uh, so in that sense, you know, glass half full, um, but it was really, um, it really made us just focus on like finding product market fit and working with the customers we were able to get. Um, and so, you know, we really, the early years of the company though, as a result, were were not very uh, sexy. We, we bootstrapped the business for many years. Um, and, uh, you know, we launched with sort of four, four people in a room, you know, working on the product. And uh, a couple of years later, we were six employees, you know, so it didn't. What, it was, didn't
1: what was that journey? What, what was that step? So you decide because you had a successful sale earlier, decide, to all right, I'm going to start another company, use my own funds. Uh, how many years, two, you say two years it took before you say, all right, let's get outside investment.
0: To be able to go further. What was uh, no, that? so we we did raise. Yeah, we my co-founders and I put in our own money, and we did kind of like a friends and family round, um, and so we had a little capital. Uh, but then when the uh, financial crisis hit, we realized, okay, we're probably going to be bootstrapped for a while. So we better, we better. You know, when you're when you're in that situation, you kind of have to manage for, uh, you know, manage for cash flow as much as growth. And so we, we didn't know if there'd be another round. We, we actually did do another angel round a couple years later, once we had a few, um, you know, like a, a hundred customers or something, um, we were able to do, to, to do that. So that helped. But um, we didn't take real outside capital for, for almost nine years. Um, so we, yeah, it was a long time. And we were even at that point uh, when we took our first outside uh, venture capital, we were, you know, I think 18 employees at that point. Um, and now have grown to about 150 employees uh, at this point. So.
1: But when it comes to funding, uh, what would you say is one of the biggest mi- mistakes one could make when, when seeking funding and and bringing in that, that capital?
0: I mean, I think f- for me, um, I, I don't think we've made this mistake, but we came close to it, um, which would be just g- going for the highest valuation rather than the best partner at that stage of the business, you know. Um, I think, um, for us, we've been fortunate to have two really good, um, you know, growth equity partners, um, and they, they both were really constructive, uh, and, um, one of them, uh, who's, who's our current backer still is a great influence on the business. So I think for me, when you're growing a business, I mean, it's kind of obvious uh, advice, but, um, you know, you want, unless you're really. Exiting the business altogether, and and maybe even then, um, you shouldn't be uh, allured by the by the highest valuation only because if you if you're bringing in a partner into the business, it's got to be one who's aligned, you know, across a lot of different areas.
1: Having that the right person, the right relationship to, that has the right connections and insight where you're where you're headed is 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 powerful um, for for you both both before you got that um, major round. And after, were there any key points as far as customer acquisition, sales and, and marketing where you saw, you came across an aha moment. we are like, wow, th- this really helped us get to the next level.
0: Yeah. I mean, f- for us, it was, it was more looking back. I think it was more of a, a, a slow grind that eventually hit a sort of inflection point. We were, um, we were initially focused on uh, SMBs. That was our target market. So smaller businesses initially, small and medium sized, maybe like sub 500 employees was the core of our market in the first, I would say, seven or eight years. Um, and then initially, uh, and then over time, as, as the product got a little bit more mature, um, we got our first enterprise customers, and and at first it was more or less by accident. Uh, we, it's not like we made some conscious decision to say, "Let's go get bigger companies." What happened? Did um, you just
1: like stumble across them, and like you just well, somebody knew somebody.
0: So what we got really good at, and I, I think this is you know a lot of businesses uh, have this have this trajectory. But we got really good at getting customers over the internet. You know, using Google, we we, we spend a lot of money on Google, and we get a lot of free traffic from Google, and. And so really in the first five years, built our business on the back of Google, which has the advantage of being really efficient, but when you're just reacting to customers finding you, you're not really choosing your target market as much because you're just, you're just sort of reacting to the inbound traffic you get. And, and for us, that was really great for getting smaller businesses, but eventually some, some bigger companies started finding us, Right? they, they know how to use Google too. <laughs> And so, um, you know, so I remember when we got our first really big customer who's still with us today, um, there was a there was a moment or, or a period of time where even though the product wasn't quite ready for enterprise in certain respects, we thought, hey, you know, there's there's enough here. We've we've, we've built something that big com- companies see value in as well. And so over time, we've decided to lean into that. And now the enterprise part of our customer base is like the fastest growing um, revenue stream by far for us. So if you had to do something over again, would you have done something different? I mean, I would say that, you know, I, I think about this all the time um, as you kind of reflect on the journey, but I, I think that we were pretty stubbornly committed to after a while to bootstrapping because, you know, um, if initially it was like, okay, investors aren't returning our calls, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to bootstrap. Um, but then you know you sort of become committed to that approach, and uh, I think it's it's a great approach if if you can do it, and we managed to make it work, and it was awesome. But as soon as we did get outside funding, there was this realization that oh wow yeah we're we're so under resourced in all these areas, and once you have some some capital to invest there, um, it really does allow you to accelerate things. And so I guess what I would maybe do. Do differently is is look around, kind of you know poke your head up earlier from the grind of running the business, and, and look around for funding a little bit earlier stage.
1: That that is I've heard in many conversations I've had is is the balance of when do you seek funding, when do you bring it, in? when are, when can you start scaling? Because obviously the more team members you have, the, the bigger the staff, the, the more mm-hmm. re- resource and availability to to grow. Uh, is it is is it a simply a, a, a moment of product market fit? Is, is it a moment of, of you start to see some scale, like what do you think is the right inflection point that makes sense to, to make the switch from bootstrapping to VC?
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, different for every company, but for us, there were a couple of considerations. One of them was um, the idea that we thought we could use some help beyond financial, you know, beyond an investment is, and um and and you know a lot of what venture capitalists and private equity firms do is is basically pattern recognition, right? They they know how to scale a sales team because they've done it at so many other companies. They've they've advised companies on that. Um, they know how to um, you know build an engineering team because they've done it. And so you you really benefit from sharing these best practices that they they have. And um, we've always been fortunate to have partners that. Um, that are pretty nuanced in that where they'll, they'll uh, you know, give you a lot of guidance, but not be overly prescriptive, which for me is the right balance, you know? Um, and so I think for, for me, it's, it's like, the, the, one of the overarching concerns is when does the non-financial side of the investment really add a lot? And, um, and at that point, it's, it's probably a good thing to, to take capital.
1: Once you've got the funding and you start to grow, you obviously need to grow the team. So when it comes to hiring, which is extremely relevant to your industry and what you do, what have you seen as some of the big takeaways or lessons learned on on growing your team from that, from the early stage of, all right, we've got some capital. Who do we first start hiring and growing?
0: Yeah, I mean, so obviously we put a lot of emphasis on that uh, on that part of growing the business. I think it's, uh, you know, I'm biased obviously, but uh, I think it's the most important part of building a team is uh, uh, or building a company is is the team you hire. Um, and then, you know, after you've hired them, it's the job of the leadership team to make sure you create a culture that that they wanna stay in, right? Because it, it doesn't do any good if you're really good at hiring, but not good at retaining, right? <laughs> uh, then, it, then it just creates a lot of work for yourself. Um, so for us, we we've had amazing hiring results for a long time. We we obviously use our own tools, our own assessments, and I think one of the great benefits of doing that for us is, you know, in the early days especially, we didn't we didn't have any brand, right? We didn't we didn't have an employer brand or even a brand brand really. You know, people um, just found us on on the internet, and so. Uh, you know, you typically uh, at, at that point don't have thousands of people flocking to work for you just because they've, uh, they've heard of you. And, that, and that's incidentally another benefit of funding is it does raise your visibility a little bit um, as an employer. Um, so for us, like, the assessments that, that we use were, were crucial because they allow you to, to, to find talent in untraditional places or non-traditional ways you know, and the, and the particular emphasis we have, and that I think a lot of the the vision that a lot of our customers buy into is, is really if you're hiring for call it three quarters, four fifths of position, it really pays to focus on potential long-term potential of those hires and not experience, which is what traditional hiring is so often geared around that has great, um, business impact. If you can do that well, it also has great impact on diversity because most diversity initiatives, um, Uh, If your hiring is focused around experience, uh, you're only going to reinforce the inequities in the world, not not help solve them. So um, so for us, that's been really key. We have found some great people in weird industries that have nothing to do with HR software that uh, that, uh, you know, I always tell the story. A couple of our best salespeople even today, uh, one of them was um, was like selling art out of a truck, <laughs> selling African art out of a truck when, uh, when he found us. And, and one, another one was uh, a physiotherapist. And now they're two of our best salespeople, you know. And if we had just been focused on looking at their resumes and what they'd done in the past, uh, we never would have even interviewed them. And so assessments can really help you um, discover talent in that way and that
1: is a great example and story of, of a use case of the the personality itself and how assessments can can come into play um, for, for you as a as a leader where where have you gotten your insight from any books podcasts audiobooks uh, sites that you have read or or, or would recommend to uh, to other leader, other leaders
0: um i tend to not be a huge consumer of of business books i mean i definitely read read a few Um, I love uh, since my business is is connected to psychology I love reading psychology books I'm not a psychologist but a couple couple of my founders uh, co-founders are and uh, but I've really uh, loved learning in that field and one of them that sort of crosses over the 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 bounds from business to psychology to economics is is um, a book called thinking fast and slow I always recommend that I've reread it twice now it's kind of it's by this uh, this guy who really sort of founded the field of behavioral economics, and and, and I love it. It's a it's a great book, and um, it's not the easiest read, but it's it's really great for people who are in, in business and thinking about um, the ways that human beings are not always totally rational, and and in economics they sometimes make really irrational decisions, and they do that in predictable ways. So it's a fascinating book for me, um, and uh, so I'd recommend that one.
1: I, I love that. I love that. For you going forward into the rest of this year and 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 beyond, what do you see as the kind of upcoming challenges that that are you going to need to overcome for continuing
0: to grow? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I think for me, one of the big things that I'm thinking about is, you know, we we were a mostly um, mostly in office uh, on site company, and then we went totally remote, like so many businesses. And, and fortunately, you know, we're in an area that that worked really well. I, I was shocked at how well remote work worked for, for us as a company. And I think one of the big challenges is now, um, as I referenced earlier, kind of, okay, how do you go back now? And, um, you know, clearly we've discovered that from a productivity standpoint, remote work is, is really working pretty well. And a lot of our team members love it. So um, we want to accommodate that. Like I, I think I'll be working from home at least a few days a week, you know once our office totally reopens. But from a cultural standpoint, and that's something I think about a lot as CEOs, just like, okay, how do we scale culture? right? We had a really great culture when we we're 30 people. It's harder to maintain that sort of energy and culture as, as you get bigger um, and have multiple offices and when you're remote as well, it's it's tough. so, so for me, um, it's sort of the, the big challenge is I think with our team figuring out okay how do we make that hybrid? People call it the hybrid model. We don't know what that's going to look like. How do we make that work? There's it. It might be more tricky to manage that than either completely on site or completely remote. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, you, uh, you're also distributed. You said um, in
1: L.A. and Australia. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, we have offices in um, Sydney and uh, Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane's our big Australian office, and then in L.A. and We've got some people in in New York, so that might be the next office. How any
1: tactics on on managing a team across time zones um, that you found effective in keeping the culture and and productivity together?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a challenge, honestly, with Australia because they're like seventeen hours apart from us. You know, it's not just a it's not just East Coast West Coast, um, and so for us, you know, that that has scheduling implications. I think, uh, you know, using great communications platforms uh, to, for, for your team is, is helpful because that really builds culture quickly. We, we probably delayed to, two, after we acquired the Australian company, we, we took a while before we all got on one uh, instance of Microsoft Teams in our case and, um, and Zoom. And so... Um, as soon as we did that, it really accelerated the integration of, uh, of the company. So, um, so I, in hindsight, I would have done that, you know, almost day one. Uh, gotcha.
1: Now, um, just curious on your perspective when it comes to technology, last question for you, for you, Josh is what, uh, future tech predictions do you, do you see what we'll, we'll, we'll see when it comes to innovation in the near term next year or two and long-term five, 10 years. When it comes to, particularly in, in the space of, of HR and people and, Beeple, uh, and the, the opportunity for tech innovations?
0: Yeah, I think uh, a trend that we saw in the past that kind of got interrupted a little bit by COVID that um, is going to reaccelerate is the emphasis on candidate experience. So, a lot of big companies are now thinking of their job candidates as their customers, right? And in a lot of cases, cases they are right. If like if you're a big consumer brand like Coke or Pepsi, right, the people that you're hiring or not hiring are your future customers. So you want to make sure that, or your current customers. So you want to make sure that um, they that the 98% of people who apply to your company or whatever it is, 95 who don't get hired still have you know warm fuzzy thoughts about Coke or Pepsi and still want to keep using your using your product. So um, candidate experience is really important, um, and so that's one of the reasons we're really interested in game-based assessment because it's a little more fun than uh, than traditional assessments. In some cases, a lot more fun. So, um, so we're really leaning into that trend, and I think that's that's a big one. And then, you know, the uh, another one I'd highlight would be long, longer term is you know what role, what constructive role can AI and machine learning play in uh, human capital management, right, or talent management. Um, I think so far we've seen some some interesting advances, but there's also some really problematic elements to it. But I don't think that I think that train has left the station and it's going to keep growing. So so how do we um, use that technology to um, to make a more not not only a more effective but a, but a ensure ensure that it's an ethical system that we're that we're using in terms of um, you know hiring people. The
1: balance of, of AI machine learning in the future will be will be very interesting. Thank you so much, Josh, for for your insights and lessons learned over these these years. Um, I really do appreciate it, man.
0: Thanks, Alexander.
1: Um, now, for those who want to learn more, you could definitely go to CriteriaCorp.com or go back to listen to part one of our interview at Uptech Report. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you're subscribed to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.